It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You're about to listen to part two of my conversation with John Hamm, featured on the Thunder Book of Basketball here on the Lockdown Thunder podcast. On this show, we talked about Billy Donovan. We talked about what the Thunder did for Oklahoma City. Is this the peak of the Thunder? Is this the best that we can do in Oklahoma City? And a lot more. Enjoy part two of my conversation with John Hamm on the Book of Thunder Basketball. So was that... You know, was that the best performance you've ever seen live in person was Clay Thompson, or is there another moment you would point to? Well, in terms of like in that moment, because I mean, that, that was obviously massive for those mm-hmm. Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, that one's certainly there. Now, again, I was there for the Russell Westbrook MVP season, um, and I saw just, oh, damn, it's just mind blowing stuff that season as well, uh, which is why you know, one of the many reasons why I, you know, I stand behind his MVP award. Uh, that that it was well deserved because of you know what I witnessed firsthand that season. So um, yeah, that, that's probably there. And again, like KD had some big games, obviously uh, over the years as well for OKC. But man, just in that moment, what Clay Thompson did to keep Golden State alive for one more game to to crawl out of that deficit, pretty massive. So. Enos Kanter recently in, you know, in isolation mode this last couple of months went on uh, The Athletic and he said that, you know, the guys were just defeated uh, before game seven even tipped off. And you alluded to that as well in the last question, talking to them after the game, uh, being, you know, so close to the team at that point. Did you get that sense or is that something you think only really Enos could know? Um, you know, so I was actually doing a post game show afterwards. So I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't in the locker room afterwards. And, and look, the Thunder always like, you know, they'll put on a brave face after, you know, after everything. I don't know if you could have really, you know, taken away a whole lot after that. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny when, when Ennis says that, because Steven Adams on a podcast with Zach Lowe was just sort of like, he felt like it was okay. Well, we got one more game, you know, like, like they didn't really feel defeated. So, um, you know, I, I would not be surprised that, that Ennis would say that because Ennis, I don't want to say he's like all about drama, but you know, he's, he's kind of a dramatic guy, right? Uh, that's the way he's always been. 
So I, I'm, I'm really not surprised that Ennis might feel that way and that Steven would feel like, well, we got another game. You know, so yeah. it was probably somewhere there in between. That, that's my hunch. One's going to be in the WWE whenever they retire. Uh, the other one is just as cool as a cucumber. So uh, I do agree yeah. that you know, we got kind of two different <laughs> yeah. perspectives here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it, and it lines up completely. Uh, I, I believe that the, the competitive nature in those guys, I mean, I don't think Russell Westbrook had a feeling like, okay, well, we can't win the next game. I don't believe that for a second. So you, you make a great point about all that, that Billy Donovan did in that series and really the whole postseason. I mean, he's, you know, out coaching Popovich, going, going against Kerr and things like that. What, what kind of is the difference? It's simply not having Kevin Durant to where uh, Thunder fans went from extremely excited uh, about Billy Donovan after that first season and after, uh, you know, he out coaches Popovich and coaches very well in the postseason uh, to wanting him fired last year. And then now uh, this <laughs> season, we're back on board with Billy Donovan. I mean, is it simply not having KD or was there something, you know, that, that you could tell just basketball wise that really changed from him uh, from one year to the next? You know, my feeling with, with Billy, um, especially after KD left, I, I think Rush just took over such an ownership and such a presence of that team that Billy's impact was probably a lot more with the secondary guys. Um, and, and if that sounds like I'm, you know, trying to speak around like Russ can't be coached, uh, okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> I, I, I think that's been proven that you know, uh, and, and that's that's an unusual for superstars. Um, so, but I, I, you know, that first season. Uh, we've talked about it some on, on our OKC Dream Team podcast that, you know, the way that Victor Oladipo was used that season, waiting until the playoffs to put the ball in his hands as a backup point guard probably should have been done a lot earlier. Like there were some other things. Um, and you know, he was kind of given an imperfect roster to work with, um, which was just just sort of uh, just a result of, of Durant's departure, right? Um, so you have that. Then the following seasons, again, there just seemed to be this sort of we know we're really good and we'll turn it on in the playoffs sort of mentality with the team. And I, I think Russ's imprint was just all over that. And Chris Paul's demeanor is completely different. And I, I, think, that, uh, I think that might be a huge part of the difference right there. Billy Donovan, I, I believe, fully has had an impact in terms of philosophy um, in terms of player development. And, and I think you brought some things to the table that OKC was looking for. Um, but Russell's an obvious, he, he's a pretty massive um, personality that, that has to be worked with there. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I mean, we can all agree we love Russell Westbrook, what he brought to Oklahoma City, what he did for the community, and then for the organization as well. But he's not a coachable player. I mean, whenever he's on the floor, he's going to do what he wants to do, just like you see in the Instagram stories. He's going to do what he wants. Uh, and that's kind of what you have to live with. And whenever you have a guy like that, that's pretty much what every NBA coach would do, just live and die with your superstars. And sadly for the Thunder, over and over again, they continue to, to die. Uh, but you're seeing now, I think, what he truly is. And that this is more of the offense that he ran at Florida that was so successful. Uh, what they're doing with the three guards and mixing and matching and having more motion, not playing as much iso ball. I mean, you're seeing he's a good coach. I mean, he's a, he's a good NBA coach. And we kind of went to the extreme, you know, as a fan base, whenever we saw the failures of the OK3 era. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And um, look, I mean, again, I, I know a bad basketball coach. There have been a lot of bad basketball coaches that have gotten an opportunity, gotten fired, and we never heard from them ever again, right? Or they got another opportunity and they failed again, and they failed again over and over. And I, I just, I never saw Billy Donovan as that type of coach, right? 
Um, I, I always felt like that, you know, I, I felt like he could get another NBA job. I felt like that even if OKC would have let him go after last season, I feel like he could have got another in, another NBA job. So, um, you know, and, and probably, you know, had, a, had a, some degree of success with that team, provided it was not the Knicks, for example. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's I, I, I always felt like that's kind of the fan base, you know, being an OU fan as well. I, I lived through, you know, fire Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops is the greatest, that sort of yin and yang uh, back and forth. I, you kind of get used to it after a while. You know it's going to happen. Um, but there was just no merit to, like, you know, Billy Donovan being the issue that had to be fixed on, on those teams. Now, even all these years later, the, the Thunder fan base is still very much a football fan base. Uh, they live and oh, die yeah. with all 182 and with all uh, 82 games. Uh, they're, they're really treating this like a football team, which you know, is fine. And it creates the passion that you see in Chesapeake. That's why it's one of the, the hardest places to play in the NBA. Uh, but real quick, forecasting out, do you think that Billy Donovan will be back next year on the bench? You know, so I, I've been asked about that, I mean, since before the season, because, you know, obviously he's in the last year of his contract. Um, and, you know, my, my take has been, as I've said over and over, like, what does Billy want to do? That's what I keep, mm-hmm. that's what I keep coming back to. You know, Billy has a say in this. Um, it's, it's not necessarily like a failure on management's part because he doesn't have an extension yet. Um, you know, they, again, with Scott Brooks, they allowed him to go to coaching free agency. Um, he kind of flirted with Portland, or at least his agent did before, you know, he re-signed with OKC. Um, wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if they just both just say, hey, after the season, let's make sure we decompress a little bit, and then we'll see where we're at. And, um, you know, it could very well be that Billy says, hey, this has been, this has been great, but I want to go try to do something else. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. I wouldn't be shocked if he signed a long-term deal. I know a lot of people in that organization just think the world of him. So kind of wrapping up the golden era here of Thunder basketball and getting back into the book of Thunder basketball, uh, what was the feeling as you covered this team and you were around this team and more in the know than a high schooler would be uh, going into Kevin Durant's final year under contract in Oklahoma City? Because I always had this theory, and again, I had no inside information. I was literally just in our high school doing history homework. Uh, but I always thought that he would sign a one-year deal and then him and Russ, which goes to show what I knew, him and Russ would leave <laughs> next year. So I thought he was going to uh, leave ultimately, but I thought that he would give it one more try with Russ, and then they just both go, and then Oklahoma City would be left in shambles. Uh, but what what was right. the feeling for you uh, with Kevin Durant entering that final year? You know, and again, I'm I, I looked at it from the from the salary cap standpoint, and at that time, just the way that the circumstances laid out, like it didn't make sense for for Durant to sign an extension with OKC and that had to do with his years of service in the league and the upcoming cap spike and if he would have signed like an extension it would have been way below market value you know something that, that he never should have done and so like it was sort of understood like Kevin has to go to free agency to get the biggest deal whether he stays in OKC or goes somewhere else um, he has to become a free agent so like that, that is something I remember. I, I tried to reiterate over and over that season. Like, this is just the way the circumstances are. In other years, maybe you do approach him with an extension, and if he declines it, then your your spidey sense goes off, and and you do have to look at doing something different. But, um, you know, uh, there was certainly a feeling all season, especially the way that the the, the playoffs ended. Um, you know, I like I, again, I I revere Darnell Mayberry. 
Darnell thought it was 100% he was coming back to OKC. Uh, right before free agency, I think it was Mark Spears had wrote that, you know, don't worry, Thunder fans, there's a 90-plus percent chance that he's coming back, right? And, and that it, – it's understood why people felt that way because there was a lot of indicators headed that way. I think the one person that was sort of backing off that was Anthony Slater, who sort of got a vibe like, I, I don't know, guys. I don't think it's, it's guaranteed that he's coming back. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people felt like, yeah, there's going to be, you know, like you said, maybe another one-year try here. And then if they come up short, okay, you know, then, then so, so be it. Um, but uh, just, again, just the, the progress that team made and, and where it was at, I, I think that led to a lot of optimism on him returning. So where were you and, and what were you doing whenever you found this out about Kevin Durant going to the Warriors? Yeah, I was um, – so, of course, I've been following it. And um, let's see, the day before, I remember there was a, there was a tweet from uh, Bob Volgaris, uh, you know, well-known sports gambler. I think he does some stuff for the Mavericks now. Uh, and he, he had just tweeted out, shut it down, I believe is what he tweeted. And, like, that was the first thing that made me go – is Kevin going to the Warriors? Like, that was the first thing. Because I knew he, you know, maybe he was messing with people and they were getting ready to hire some random assistant coach, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, that was the first indication. And then uh, I, I think, you know, Royce Young had been obviously uh, on top of the situation and, and you know, knew that it was down to OKC and, the th you know, I mean, OKC and Golden State. And uh, then there was the, okay, there will be an announcement tomorrow on, you know, whatever. So I had all my tweet notifications turned on that were relevant. You know, uh, you went to sleep that night. And, um, you know, the next day I was refreshing Twitter quite a bit. And I remember I, maybe I had tweet notifications turned on for the Players' Tribune. But I remember I opened the article as soon as it came up that there was, you know, there was something to read. And I just did Control-F and I searched for Warriors. And sure enough, you know, it came up that he was joining Golden State. So – so that's, that's how I remember that day going. It's like I almost knew at that point what the result was going to be. And, uh, you know, that, that my, my, my intuition for once actually was, was in the right direction. So this is my first back-in-my-day moment. As back then, yeah. whenever Frequency Open, it wasn't at 6 p.m. Central time. I mean, they didn't open for agency yeah. until midnight. So I remember staying up all night, refresh, refresh, refresh. Yep. You're getting some random role player signing to Cleveland. And I'm just trying to yes. look for Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant. Nothing happens. <laughs> I literally stay up until 6 a.m. And I'm like, okay, he's going to be like one of the star players that just waits for a couple of days, drags it out a little bit. I'm finally going to go to sleep. And then my mom calls, you know, whenever the news first breaks, and I'm asleep. So I answer it, and she's screaming, like, Kevin Durant's going to the Warriors. And my mom knows, doesn't know anything about basketball. I mean, she couldn't tell the difference between basketball and baseball. So I'm thinking, there's no way. She's gotten fooled by the internet. They, maybe, maybe the article said after losing to Golden State, he's you know, right. going to do this or that. He, there's no way he's going to, uh, to uh, Golden State. And then sure enough, he did. So I was awoken by that news. And so that's not the, the thing you want to hear whenever you first wake up, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, you're, you're right. Free agency, that they moved that up because it, it did become a, you know, like a TV spectacle, right? Um, and that was just this previous season. But before then, yeah, you, you know, we had to wait up and here it was, you know, 11 o'clock central time. And, uh, you know, obviously on the first day of free agency, I was there when Timothy Mozgov and Lou Aldang and Evan Turner and, you know, yeah. all these guys got their massive deals. But, but Kevin did, uh, you know, he gave it a few days and, you know, uh, I, I, again, 
I, I still believe, you know, again, a lot of conversations with Royce as he's explained that Kevin's very much an in-the-moment guy. And, you know, it, it's probably not that far-fetched that he, he could have just leaned the other direction at the last minute. But, you know, he didn't, and, and that's the story. You know, you would think that we'd learn our lesson, you know, as NBA fans of, okay, every year we stay up until like 6 a.m. And all that we find out is where Evan Turner and Timothy Moskoff are going to yeah. go. But we did it every year anyway until I know. finally – I think NBA Twitter strong-armed the NBA to moving that deadline up so they can have the, the jump specials and things like that. Right. Uh, and then ultimately it didn't matter because, what, last year the Kawhi news and the Paul George news leaks at, what, 1, PM, 1 a.m. Oklahoma City time? Right. I mean, so it didn't matter anyway. The, the star player still got us up at, at, in the middle of the night. But uh, exactly, I just remember yeah. that was what I was doing on that just terrible, terrible uh, July 4th. And then, of course, Russell Westbrook posting the, the cupcake pictures on Instagram. Uh, and things yeah. Like that. So, yeah. And, I mean, again, it's just it, – it's unfortunate because that 14-15 that team, um, you know, I, I remember Zach Lowe. I mean, he wanted to pick the Thunder as his title favorite. Uh, you know, and then uh, and then uh, Kevin Durant suffered the Jones fracture, and and that was just the beginning of things. That fourteen fifteen team, if it had not gotten just waylaid, maybe they do prevent the Warriors becoming from what they become, right? Maybe the story's different. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if if the Thunder hold on to that series, though, that they beat the Cavs? Like, are you one of those people that think it's one hundred percent certain they beat the Cavs? No, I, I, I'm not. Um, you know, again, like. We, we know what LeBron is capable of, especially with the healthy, you know, roster there, right? And and that year was uh, – the, the previous year, that's where they lost Kevin Love in the first round against uh, against Boston. Uh, Kyrie Irving went down in the finals. And it was like LeBron James, Matthew Dellavedova, and Timothy Mozgov were, you know, the, the anchors of that Cleveland team. They came back the next year fully healthy. And, uh, you know, obviously they, they beat the 73-win Warriors. You know, the, the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. We all know the story. Um, I, I'm still, I'm still not convinced that OKC was definitely going to win. Obviously, people like Andre Iguodala feel like OKC was the better team. Um, but I mean, some of that, Ryland, it just goes back to, like I said, that team just felt like it was sleepwalking a lot of the year. I, I think they, they had this bad tendency to say, "Oh, we can turn it on at any time," and you know that could very well come back to to, to bite them in the finals that year. I, I, I don't think it's. You know, by far any uh, any guarantee that they would have beat that Cavs team because that Cavs team was pretty good too as we found out yeah I think that as we get further away from that Cavs team for some reason that we kind of in Oklahoma City we kind of discredit them and say well they for sure would have beat them I would have picked them to win the finals that year uh, but I'm not going to say for certain that they win that championship sure. uh, but I would have absolutely considered them the favorite and I would have bet a lot of money that they would have won uh, entertainment purposes only by the way because I do work for the NCAA. We're not allowed to bet on, bet on sports, but uh, <laughs> I, in, entertainment purposes only. So uh, I, yeah. I want to move this over to a happier side of things for a second. Uh, what was your favorite moment and, and memory of this era of Thunder basketball? And a long time from now, what are you going to relay to somebody and say, this really summarizes that era of how good it was? Oh, man. Uh, I, I'm trying to think what moment I can boil it down to. Um, because I mean, like there are some things like, look, Serge Ibaka making his return after being ruled out for the rest of the playoffs. Um, that, that was, that was something that was something else. And, you know, especially because Ibaka came out and like hit his first, I I don't know. He he just couldn't miss afterwards. He was playing so well. And, and like, that was just no, 
people kind of thought, is he really out for the playoffs? But they were still a little bit wavering. But then when he was actually out there, like, it, it was such a difference maker. And I just remember that being just just such a flash moment right there. Um, let's see, other moments from that era. You know, honestly, like that, you know, we, we talked about that 15-16 team. You know, my, my big memories of that are the home, game, home games against the Warriors where they, they just made the Warriors look shell-shocked. Right. And that was in, uh, let's see, what games three and four, I think, um, you know, talk to people from the Bay Area who came in for that. And were just like, oh, man, I, I cannot believe how loud this building got. Right. And these are people that were in Oracle Arena regularly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's there's things like that that I, I don't know if it's a particular moment, but I can just tell you, like, just, you know, being there and getting the getting the reactions from people that aren't from Oklahoma City. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see. That's, again, sort of just reaffirms to me, like, yeah, we should be on the map. We are deservingly on the map. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's a good point. If I was trying to summarize this era, I would just say Oklahoma City. That was one of the most talked about places <laughs> in the world. That was, I mean, yeah. throughout this era, that was one of the most talked about, you know, cities and places, and they had all this exposure and things like that because these other small market teams, if they're good, we still don't talk about them nonstop. I mean, everywhere you look, they're talking Thunder basketball. And how crazy is that for, for somebody who grew up in Oklahoma to think, yeah, every single time you turn on ESPN, there's a good chance that within 20 minutes you're going to hear Oklahoma City. And, you know, again, San Antonio won five NBA titles, you know, over, over that stretch between 99 and 2014. But, you know, it, they just they didn't have the sex appeal, right? I mean, Tim Duncan was, was one of the greatest players ever. Uh, you know, people would say he's pretty boring. But – you know, they just didn't quite have that sex appeal. This this Thunder team did. And, you know, the Sacramento Kings, like, they had that moment, right, back at the at the beginning of the century against the Lakers. And, and then they've been a disaster pretty much ever since then. Um, and, yeah, for, for Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook to be the conduit to the rest of the world. Um, you know, and I, I've talked to other people that from Oklahoma City that have gone to other parts of the world and you know they're asked where are you from Oklahoma City oh Kevin Durant like it it did so much you know for this city I think the image of it and um you know again it was it, it was a rousing success there's no banners there's there's no championship trophies uh but it was a rousing success nonetheless and you know this might be a little bit corny but there's no banners there's no championship there, there's none of that but there is a whole new city here and I really think that the Thunder propelled our city, Oklahoma City, our state, into this area where people want to be. I mean, downtown Oklahoma City now is a very happening place to be. And I think it's really yeah. because of the thunder. And I think that, that giving, us, giving us that value uh, to our state is a huge deal, even if it didn't end with a championship. You know, uh, one, one conversation one time kind of centered around that. Like, you know, the, the thunder, they're the reason why this is all here, right? And it, I, I think there's an understanding like, no, 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 that match was lit a long time ago, right? The original maps back in the 90s, like people in OKC decided to invest in itself and that led to some great things. The Thunder, I accelerated that, no doubt. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's part of the story. Part of the story, the evolution of Oklahoma City as a city uh, is going to include the Thunder and, and how it helped shape that because – you know, uh, maybe we were going to get a downtown park eventually. I believe that, you know, maybe the Thunder helped make that happen. I, I, I truly feel like that spirit to we need to make our city desirable was there a long time ago. 
And I just feel like the, the Thunder organization just sort of came in and just blew the doors open on, on what this city could actually be. Yeah, I think that, you know, the Thunder, you know, while Oklahoma, Oklahoma City was going to grow naturally, I think you're right that the Thunder really escalated it because if there's, no, if there's no NBA game every other night, do we get all of the local breweries and eateries around yeah. there and things to do down there before a game? That's, I, I feel like that's kind of what they, and I'm not, you know, a local politician or anything. I don't know the ins and outs of what the city was going to do anyway. Uh, but I think that, that they're really a big part of those breweries and companies and local businesses opening up and saying, hey, why not set up shop here? Because we're going to get traffic every other night because of the NBA. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, again, my, my pregame shows are typically from Flint Restaurant, which is at the Cole Court Hotel. And, you know, just when you go and set up and the place is packed, you know, and there's at least 41 nights a year under normal circumstances, you know, where people have a reason to drag themselves downtown and, and go to a game and take in other stuff. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's a huge driver. So, um, you know, it's, that's one of the things, whenever you go to the Oklahoma city Wikipedia page and you're reading about the history and you read about like the IMP uh, or pay plan, uh, where they tried to re reinvent the city back in the seventies and the sketchy results from that and all the various things, there's going to be a section of, and then came the Oklahoma city thunder and here's all the cool stuff that happened while they were here and likely due in part because of their presence. And as, as much as, you know, Kevin Durant did off the court, he also did a ton in the community. I mean, the, the restaurant was a big deal, and all he did for mm-hmm. tornado relief efforts. I mean, it was also you get a good basketball team, but also a good basketball team that embraces your community more so than just doing like NBA Cares Read events. I mean, they were truly investing libraries at schools and uh, helping rebuild the state and things like that. So I think that in this era, it's also about basketball, but it's also about our entire state as well. Yeah, yeah, no, th- there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I, I think the Thunder organization has done a really good job on, you know, sort, sort, of, sort of spearheading those efforts and sort of directing those efforts, um, you know, to, to reinvest in, in however long you're going to be here, whether you're going to be here for, for a 10-day contract, or you're going to be here for the rest of your career. Um, you know, here's the various ways you can make an impact. And, uh, you know, I, I know, like, every NBA team, there, there's mandated policies on, on public events and all that. And I get that. Um, but talking to some people, it does feel like, you know, for the most part, the Thunder go a little bit above and beyond in that regard. And, um, you know, look, I mean, th- that trickles up to the front office, you know, Sam Presti and his wife made a huge donation to, uh, to OU Children's Hospital, uh, OUHSC Children's Hospital. What was that a year or two ago? So, uh, you know, th- that spirit is there from the top down. So a couple more questions here. I appreciate all your time. And this, this has gone on uh, really long and I appreciate it. Uh, number one, <laughs> just given the nature of the NBA and being a small market team uh, and the fact that it's so hard to run off and unprecedented a draft of three straight MVPs, is this the peak of the Thunder? Is this as good as the Thunder are going to get in Oklahoma City? I mean, you have to acknowledge that's a possibility, um, you know, again, and, and, and I think the front office too sort of understands. I, I remember uh, 
oh gosh, one of the first questions asked of Sam at his preseason availability was, you know, do you think you can somewhat replicate what you've done before? And Sam was like, somewhat? Like, <laughs> they would be thrilled to, you know, replicate like a fraction of that. You know, they sort of understood that, you know, yes, while there was a lot of hard work that went into, you know, building that team, uh, you know, th- th- there was a lot of stuff that there was variables that they couldn't have anticipated, right? Like, you know, again, Russell Westbrook stardom and James Harden stardom. And um, so, yeah, you, you, you can't bank on that. So um, it's, uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes. Uh, being a small market, look, I mean, LeBron James is the only, like, game-changing free agent that's gone to, what, a bottom 10 market or a bottom 20 market in the NBA. Um, you know, uh, places like Oklahoma City, Utah, Memphis, New Orleans, Charlotte, they're just not going to attract major free agents. It's, it's just not going to happen. So uh, you, you have to think differently. And, you know, I, this, this Thunderfront office has shown once before how they plan to do it. And, and I think they're going to follow, you know, the same, uh, the same method to build through the draft and, and give themselves the best chance they possibly can to, again, somewhat replicate what they did before. Yeah, I think that was the best answer of just we have to prepare ourselves for that because it's not indefinite. I mean, they do have Shea, who I think, as I've said on this podcast, is someone uh, that I would love to build around because I, I believe that with Shea, there is no player in the NBA that, that you can say, well, does he really fit with Shea? I think Shea can fit with anyone you put around him. So when you finally mm-hmm. do hit on somebody, he's, you're not going to have any problem pairing him with Shea. You're, that, that's not going to be one of your worries is, okay, if we bring him in, though, how is he going to fit next to Shea? So that's a huge advantage for a small market. And then the 15th mm-hmm. first-round picks and things like that as well. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, you can have all the picks you want to, some of these classes don't have a Kevin Durant or a Russell Westbrook or a James Harden. Yeah. And that's why it's so rare. Not only do front offices miss sometimes, uh, but it's also rare that you get that collection of talent in consecutive drafts to really build a core. It, exactly. And, and, you know, I've, I've, I've talked and written about that before as well. Between 2007 and 2009, there's so much. I mean, OKC could have, you know, oh gosh, they missed on, you know, they, they didn't draft James Harden, but they drafted Steph Curry, right? Like there was multiple options available at the time. And when the Cleveland Cavaliers were terrible after LeBron left, well, they got Kyrie Irving, and that's about it, right? Um, it, it is, it, it, it's just a collection of moving targets, right? So, you know, uh, I, I, I will say this, that I, I have faith because OKC, the, you know, the front office has demonstrated it's not just Sam Presti. He's always, you know, pointed out Will Dawkins, uh, you know, and uh, other people in the front office that, obviously uh, play a huge part in, in who they select, who they bring in, how they develop them. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of work there, but they've shown time and again, uh, sure, you know, they miss on some draft picks like every team does, but, you know, like th- this was a team that identified DeMontis Sabonis, and they knew he was a little bit out of place in Oklahoma City, but he's gone on to show what he's capable of in Indiana. That's the sort of player I think that they envision him being. So I kind of want that front office to make those decisions going forward. If, uh, you know, to, to get this team back to, you know, hopefully somewhere close to where it was. And while we're on the topic, just real quick, what would you, what would you put money on right now at the Thunder do? Would you think that they're more likely to tank and try to better their draft picks and sell, or are they more likely to use these draft picks and, and bring in a veteran off of a trade or do a mixture of both a little bit? Because they do have 15 of them. Yeah, yeah, it, they do. I, I think it's more likely that, again, building through the draft and, and the advantage there, again, coming from a salary cap standpoint, if you get a player in the draft, 
he's on a four-year contract, you know, and then he can become a restricted free agent. You've got the ability to keep that guy, especially if he's really good, you know, keep him under contract for eight or nine years. That's unheard of. Where, again, as we saw with Paul George, you make a trade for him, he finishes out his contract, he resigns, then he wants out, and you've only got him for a couple of years. You know, we've seen other teams, you know, shell out a lot of assets for a guy that walks in two years. Um, I, I think this team is much more committed to identifying people that can be under contract for a long period of time. That's how they built, you know, this Thunder team that we started off talking about. Um, and as long as the rules are in place that say this is the best way for a small market team that's not going to draw free agents to build their roster, I, I think that's how they're going to play it. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, and, and again, Shea helps out a ton because, number one, you're not going to yeah. just be awful next year, even if you do sell. Uh, but, again, already having one guy that you think is going to be an all-star uh, really helps a rebuild, already having the one in place. Yeah, and you know the one thing that I hear you know quite a bit is we well, you know you can't control what other teams do. It's nice to have you know these potential draft picks, uh, but you know you, you can't control what the Clippers do. Even if Kawhi and Paul George leave, that's a you know maybe they attract two other star free agents and they never miss a beat, and you're constantly getting their pick in the twenties. Uh, you know maybe Houston. Either they bought them out so bad that the, you know, the, the pick never conveys or when it does convey, it's another bad pick. You can't control that. You can control your own destiny. And, you know, kind of going back to earlier, talking about that James Harden trade, that Toronto pick looked like it could be, you know, the, a pick that falls in four or five or six. It winds up falling 12. They couldn't control that, right? Toronto, uh, you know, found, a, found an angle that worked for them and uh, didn't turn out to be as bad as anticipated. So. You know, some of this is probably going to require the Thunder to eventually, you know, shed off some other guys, rely on the young guys, and kind of go through that rebuilding process. And you know, if if lightning strikes again, hopefully it won't be. Uh, hopefully it won't be too long. So I wanted to end this with just you know, you've been with this team, you've been involved with covering the team. Uh, who was your favorite player to talk to? Again, it doesn't have to be the best player, but just who was your favorite player to be around, to interact with, to interview, things like that. Yeah, I mean, look, the easy answer is Steven, um, you know, just because he is, I mean, he's, he's just relatable. Uh, you know, he's obviously you know, very entertaining. But also when he talks basketball, like, you kind of get drawn in, right? Like, when he starts talking about, like, pick and roll coverages and things like that, you just kind of almost see, like, the media just lean in just a little bit. Um, he, he just has a way of sort of explaining that stuff. Um, you know, obviously, Ennis was, you know, he was a character. 
Um, I, and honestly, like I, I had an interview one time with, with Anthony Morrow and he was just, he was just fantastic, you know? So he was great to talk to as well. Um, uh, Doug McDermott, you know, he only came in for a cup of coffee, but you know, again, just an enjoyable guy to talk to there as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of guys, Josh Eustace was another one when he was here and, uh, and look, I never had a conversation with Russ. I'll be completely honest with you. Cause I, I always felt like there's other people that need to have those conversations before I do. Um, so I, I never really talked to like him or Kevin Durant very much, if at all. Uh, I, I usually talk with some of the other guys uh, that were with the team. And uh, you know, I, I would say out of those, it, it's probably got to be Steven and which, which seems like, you know, obvious answer but it's it's the truth john let them know where they can find your stuff and how they can support your work because this was awesome thanks uh so if you uh if you're on twitter uh at john m ham is where i've been hanging out for a while uh i obviously uh 1077 the franchise and okc uh whenever the season gets fired back up you'll hear me a whole lot more uh into the off season and the next season as well uh, there's also the OKC Dream Team podcast. Uh, that is a podcast with me, Brett Dawson, who now covers the Lakers for The Athletic, but he's still part of the pod. Uh, Andrew Schlecht, also with The Athletic and Down to Dunk. Uh, Roy Shung from ESPN. Um, that, that is a subscription podcast that we have at patreon.com slash OKC Dream Team. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's what's going on right now. And, and we'll see what else comes up down the road. Well, John, this was great. I really appreciate all your time. You bet. Thanks for having me. Be good and be good to one another, and we'll see you next time on the Locked On Thunder Podcast. Perfect ending to a historic day! Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.